Welcome to the Kingdom Yoga Podcast, a podcast devoted to helping widen the net of your inquiry into living a life of yoga. I'm your companion in this, Adam Keane, and I hope to simply facilitate the best expression of my guests, their struggles, revelations, what makes them unique in their subject. We don't earn any cash from this, so if you did wish to tip in, you can donate via kingdomyogapodcast.com. Well, kingdomyoga.com forward slash podcast. We endeavour to bring you one episode a week, and after recording 70, we've no intention of stopping. So, today's guest on the, t- on the podcast is Jimmy That Meditation Guy, an online meditation teacher. A unique find online, he is at once scientifically minded, though also deeply situated in tradition, a proponent of Vedic meditation, which is the use of a careful cultivated mantra, a repetition of a specific phrase, which we'll discuss in this conversation. Yeah, he originally started meditation a self-proclaimed atheist with no other interest in curing a problem with insomnia he had. So at this point in his life, Jimmy was already online, living the dream that most people aspire to, travelling the world whilst working from his laptop. Having been convinced of the scientific validity of meditation, he started learning from CDs, and this produced such a positive effect he sought out direct teachers, attended retreats, seminars in many different styles, settling on this Vedic Vedic meditation. And he used to go to a centre in West London, which I knew well. Almost from the beginning, Jimmy was able to sleep again. And after practising for over 10 years now, in the last few years, he started teaching. Jimmy now lives in Brighton, where he has swapped an online business and teaching people how to trade in financial markets, but teaching a growing audience how to meditate. His down-to-earth, clear and approachable style is way well conveyed in his great social media as that meditation guy on Instagram and Facebook. So when not meditating, living now on the south coast of England in Brighton, he likes to get out for a spot of paddleboarding. So welcome, Jimmy, that meditation guy, to the Keenan Yoga Podcast. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Yeah, it's good to yeah. be on. Yes, great. So let's get stuck in. Um I know that you started meditation from the, simply not being able to sleep. That, that's right. Um, and a, a, a DJ, an Ibiza DJ insomniac. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could say that. Yeah. Although I was more on the partying side than the DJ right, side. Okay. I mean, well, DJing. I, I kind of imagined you as a DJ as well. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was uh, with some with some friends at the after parties, but not in the big clubs or right, anything. Okay, no. okay. <laughs> right. So you can't get no sleep. And you started meditating. Um, and, but before that, sorry, let's backtrack. I mean, what, what was your background before getting into meditation? Because it's kind so, of interesting. Yeah, it was around uh, in my 20s that I had this pro- problem with insomnia. And around that time, I just had a quite a normal job. I worked in the travel industry. Um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of had a sales job that allowed me to travel around the world. So I kind of hated the, the desk job side, but I loved the traveling side. I was always into that. But at the same time, I also had this party lifestyle where the weekends I would have fun and I would drink a lot. And that's what led me to have the insomnia. And so, yeah, that's what led me to start <laughs> experimenting with meditation because I kept seeing it coming up as this thing that could apparently cure insomnia, but took me a while to get to that point. Mm. How long did it take? Before? I mean, because I think you had pretty kind of rapid results in that, right? So here's, here's how it went down. I started with trying to learn from YouTube videos because this was before apps and all that kind of stuff. So 
YouTube, there were some things on there and I also bought some uh, audio CDs and I tried to listen to them, but it was all meditation for sleep. That was the only thing I cared about. And um, none of that worked. So eventually I thought, right, what I'm going to do... You persevered anyway. Well, yeah, I just thought, I, I really do believe this will work because the scientific research seems to say it will because you find these magazine articles. It's been bubbling up now, meditation into the public consciousness for a good 20 years, hasn't it, into the mainstream. So all magazines on Google, it says, you know, sleep better, feel better, this will work. So yeah, like I um, decided to take a course, which was an eight week mindfulness course. And I thought that would solve it. And, but I got to the end of that and that didn't even solve it either. I still bought into meditation as a thing and it really helped me to realize like, oh, there's something here. I do feel calmer and I do feel less stressed. I do feel less anxious, but also I still can't quite kick this insomnia thing and I'm still not quite getting what I want. So I went looking to see what other styles of meditation there were out there. Because to be honest, when the course ended, I really enjoyed it and I felt like I was getting something. But when it ended, I kind of felt empty again, like I wanted to carry on. So that's when I went looking for something else and I stumbled across uh, somebody who was teaching Vedic meditation around the corner from where I lived in Notting Hill. And I went along to that. Now, here's the funny thing, you see, back in that period of time, I was the complete atheist, materialist. I thought anything to do with spirituality was silly and I... That's why I didn't want to be involved in that. And that's why I went on a mindfulness-based stress reduction course. It was meditation with spirituality stripped out. So I went along to Vedic meditation, not really thinking about that anymore. And when I got there, I found a bit of a shock because we had to take fruits and flowers for a puja. Yeah, that's, in- that's the West London Vedic Centre. Right? I know that's quite, yeah, that's definitely spiritually-esque, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I I didn't understand any of that. And it was very alien to me at the time. There was, um, you know, the picture of a a guru there and uh, (laughs) singing in Sanskrit and all these things. And I'm thinking, what am I doing in this place? Like, what is this? But sure enough, once that side of it was done, we got the technique, the same technique that has been taught since the 1960s, since a a guru called Maharishi Mahesh Yogi brought it to the West. And... um, Sure enough, they gave the instructions, we practiced it, and four days later, my insomnia was completely cured. And I've been sleeping completely fine like a normal person ever since. And that was it, really. I was just hooked. I still didn't buy into the spiritual side, but I just knew something special had happened. Yeah. And that didn't work with the mindfulness? No, with mindfulness, I came away thinking, oh, this is brilliant training for your concentration, and this is really working to get me into a a calm place. But what I didn't get from it was when working with the mantra, I did feel like I dropped into this deep place of this deep inner stillness and silence. And I use those words really as a placeholder for an experience that I don't have words for, if you see what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there was something different. Whereas the mindfulness, which I'm very, very fond of, and I still... um, do practice those techniques quite often because I find them useful, but they didn't give me the like bang sort of complete loss of self and back again that I got from with working with the mantra. Mm. Um, so, and up to that time, had you been practicing it when you started with the mindfulness or even with the YouTube? I know when I started yoga, I, I needed it, you know, I really needed it. So I started 
practicing every day. Like even though I think I had like one of those Argos, it was like an Argos training mat. So it slipped before yoga mats, really. It was like a kind of like one you do sit-ups on or something, you know. So yeah. I didn't have the kit and I didn't have the instruction, you know, but I just needed it, right? So I just kind of like bodged along and you know, hacked away in any way I could, you know. Like, was that your experience when you got hold of the meditation? Did you start with it daily or or was it kind of intermittent and then this the Vedic meditation really kind of grabbed you? Well, it was exactly like your experience leading up to the mindfulness course. And then straight after that, I did the Vedic meditation course. And the, after the Vedic meditation course, that was it. Then I was like, I do not want to experiment at this point because this is working yeah. for me. I feel I've gone from kind of insomniac, depressed, drinking, you know, a bottle of red wine or two a night to oh, wow. not wanting to drink at all, sleeping well, and just feeling really brilliant. So it was like, okay, I'm going to stick to this 20 minutes, twice a day, every day, no matter what. And the impact was big at the beginning, but then it just kept deepening and deepening and deepening. And I just kept feeling better and better and better. So it really did shift my life in those four days. Yeah. Do you want to explain the technique of the mantra a little bit or why you think that's important? And I mean, I suppose if you're, I mean, we, we suppose that listeners are of a mixed uh, kind of understanding of mantras. So do you want to give a definition of mantra first of all? And then what your experience of why a mantra is important? Sure, yeah. So a mantra is a Sanskrit word, which has a very, well, the ones that I would use would be a very soothing vibrational quality. And I don't give out the meanings of the mantras purposely because I want my students to think of them as that soothing sounds with a vibrational quality that they can use to soothe the mind and the nervous system. And so Go on, you going to ask a question? <laughs> you caught me. <laughs> Most people just talk at me for an hour. That's very, very kind. <laughs> no. Um, no, I was going to say, is there anything inherent in the, in the sound, in, in, the, in the word itself for, for you, for, for the, in the way you, you teach? You know, because often they say, well, this is a seed syllable. It has the meaning inherent in the potency and the vibration. It's been practiced for thousands of years by rishis. So it's inherently a powerful word, regardless of whether you know what it means or not. That's exactly right. I just don't want to give the meaning because I don't want people to be thinking about it when they use it. I want them to experience the sound vibration in the mind and in the body rather than sitting there thinking, oh, I hope I get this thing that it means or something like that. So I know what the meanings are, but yeah, don't give them out unless people ask and say they need to know, in which case it's like, yeah, sure, I'll tell you. And they'll, and then in that case, it's always very innocent, the, the meanings anyway. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, appropriate. I'm sure appropriate as well, not like yeah, yeah. Coca-Cola <laughs> or something. Um, but, the, but the other thing is it's not just the mantra. So I'm not saying the mantras are super magical and if you close your eyes and say it like a magic word, something will happen. It's the technique of how to use the mantra. So it's using the mantra in the most effortless way possible. So you, you hold it so delicately that it's there enough to charm the mind and to allow thoughts to fall away. But you hold it so delicately that you lose the mantra as well. And you do that over and over and over again until you fall deeper and deeper and deeper into this place of nothingness. That's a nice way to, yeah, I love the way that you say you know, the delicate holding. I would probably use that in my, in my teaching, actually. Uh, very, um, <laughs> is it transcendental meditation? Is that, is, is this, so here's, here's is, is that what, what happened, it was called originally? Yeah, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi brought transcendental meditation. One of the top teachers there, 
um, left the TM organization and started teaching people under the name Vedic meditation. Right. And okay. then other people have gone on to teach it themselves who don't want to be uh, uh, associated with any organization or anything like that. So they use other words. And also, it isn't just Maharishi. If you were to go to the Himalayas and learn from people there, they just call it Himalayan meditation or something like that. So it is a, it is a common thing. Um, the TM people wouldn't like me saying that, but it, is, it goes back thousands of years, yeah. Okay. Sounds very similar to the yoga world that we're in. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so do you give different meditations out to different students? Do you mean different mantras? Sorry, mantras. Um, no, so the way I teach it is to, because I'm teaching over Zoom to quite a big group. So I'll, get, I'll say, here's one mantra. Uh, and I'll say, this is how it sounds. This is how you use it. So I'll give you a couple of minutes now just to be quiet and sit with that. And I'll say, okay, here's another one. Try that one. And then you decide which one um, of those two feels right for you and you go with that. So it's quite different to um, the way it was done from Maharishi who would give whisper it into your ear. But um I'm just found I came across another teacher who was teaching it in this way and I found it really powerful and I realized that I could do this same thing with groups um, and so yeah it just it just seems to work in the same way because it's the way that you use the mantra that seems to facilitate falling into the deep place and actually when I researched Maharishi's early talks and early writings he did say that you could transcend off any mantra he didn't say that you have to have a specific one. Um, that came later, so. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah. How do you hold it then? How do you use it? That's kind of quite intriguing. Well, I'm mm. not sure I could explain it fully right, here because right, right. that's why there's a course. I use but lots yes, of, um, of course, exercises. But it's not, it's, not, it's not so much a secret. It's just not easy to explain. But what it is is you, you – when I give them the mantra at first, they're just repeating it in their mind over and over again, just saying the word. And then after that, for the, for the following sessions, I try and get them to start from a place of, maybe we start with a little bit of mindfulness or a little bit of breathing. That takes us into a quiet place. And then I try and get them to do nothing and see if they can just allow the mantra to bubble up and then tune into it somehow. So... It's trying to get people to be as effortless as possible. And so often the questions that come up are, oh, well, I keep losing it, but the, or it's changing and it's sounding different. And all these things will, these odd things will start to happen when you're holding it that delicately. And so it's helping people navigate that is the job. So I often joke on day one, I'll give you the mantra. And then day two, three, and four, I'm trying to get you to lose it. <laughs> That's <laughs> the, mm. the way it sort mm. of goes. Right. That's really interesting. I've never heard that before. So you're kind of not trying to say it as much as just allow it to be said in the, in the gaps of thought or something. Yeah. Oh, I want it to be the echo of a whisper somewhere in the background of the mind. Yeah. Right. And what's the intent? What's the purpose? I mean, are you instructing people to stop the mind or still it? Or how, how do you frame that intent? So... As you do this kind of meditation, the body will relax very, very deeply and the mind will tend to calm down. But as the body relaxes very deeply, you will start to release some stress. And by stress, I mean emotions that you experienced at some point, but weren't in a place where you could 
adequately express them and feel them. You did, you weren't able to cry or scream or punch the person who bothered you, <laughs> you know. So those things will start to come up. Unconscious material will likely start to come up. So your meditation experience when you go deep quite often is this quietness of feeling deep followed by maybe some experience of thinking or some aches and pains or maybe some tears. I'm, I'm teaching a course at the moment. I imagine this is day two. There'll be somebody who will have had tears this morning when they tried it on their own and they won't feel sad. It's just that some emotion is bring, coming to the surface when they're relaxing very, very deeply. And so what I teach them is at first, that might happen a lot, but if you keep doing it and doing it and doing it, that will stabilize. And then you'll start to get more into moving into the quiet place. And so the way meditation teachers would talk about this is that you are moving yourself into a state known as lots of different names, transcendental consciousness, pure consciousness, uh, lots of different names. But ultimately it means when you are meditating, going deep, everything quiets down, and then it's almost like you drop out of the mind completely. So you have a complete lack of experience. And then when you come back online, you you might know that happened or you might not, but what it's like is sort of when you get a laptop and you shut down all the tabs and you do a restart, when you come back online, you feel a lot better. It feels a little bit like that. So yeah, you don't have any experience as such when you're in the transcendent state because you've dropped the mind altogether, but the benefit comes when you come back out of it. Yeah. I wasn't planning to go so deep so quickly, but so what's, the <laughs> what's the experience of self then that's, um, that this talks about in Transcendental Meditation? Where, where is the self here? If you're dropping the self, are you losing that self altogether? Or is the self in a restive state? What is the way? How do they speak about nature of self? Okay, yeah. So this is a good point. So this, this will tie up hopefully what I was just saying. So what I was talking about was the experience of the individual, but... In the theory would be, the spiritual teaching would be that if you think of your own personal consciousness as like a wave on the ocean, um, you know, and the ocean is the, the pure consciousness, the collective consciousness that we all share, right? And each one of us is like a wave on that ocean, experiencing the individual expression of the whole ocean yeah, as we go about our normal everyday lives. And so when we meditate and we calm down very, very deeply, the mantra takes us to a state where that individual expression of individual consciousness for a very short time collapses back down into the ocean of pure consciousness and then re-emerges again. But to the, to the individual, since the, the, the self, small s, disappears into the large s, the capital S, the self that we all are, essentially, then that's why me, Jimmy, has no experience there. But when I come back into my normal state of consciousness, that's when I will bring back some of the, the bliss, uh, happiness, fulfillment that is inherent in the large S, big self consciousness. So some of your yoga people, I'm sure, will understand yeah, that. Some I, people I, are thinking, what are they talking about? <laughs> well, I think, I think that's, that's a well explained. But what are you trying to kind of merge in that self all the time? It seems that, you know, there's a material bent here. You're wanting to come back to the small self. And, and many people probably that come to you will say, well, why would I want to do that? I don't want to be not myself, right? I don't want to lose my individuality. 
to go into this greater self. And, and well, how do you answer that? I mean, and what's the intent? I mean, if you're looking transcendentally with this, are you looking ultimately to merge into this self or just bring a little bit back into a regular state and, and kind of maximize your material and a small self-life? Well, that's a great question. You are right in what you said. Does it make your small self-life much better? The truth is I don't normally put it in those terms. I normally just say, if you do this meditation, it takes you to a very deep place where you'll experience this profound inner stillness and silence. And when you come back, you'll, you, you, feel, you feel great. And then when they're on the course, I explain this in a lot more detail using um, diagrams and slides. And this is you, this is the top of the ocean, this is the bottom and all the rest of it in a, in a very scientific way. And it's like, ah, okay, right, that's what's happening. But I also make the point that you don't have to believe this either because when I went through this process and they told me this big self, small self stuff, I thought I'd never heard that before. And I just really? thought, that's not right. true. Yeah, right. I didn't believe really? any of it. I was going to say, I, how, how often, I mean, sorry to stop you, but how often, do, what's the kind of percentage of people who are kind of up for it straight away? I mean, as I, to be honest, I was, I didn't seem unusual at all for me to, to think in those terms. But when I talk to people in those terms, I'm often surprised that people really, don't recognize it at all or, or really aren't up for it as well. You know, they want to just use yoga for what they want to use it for. And, you know, and that's it, you know. And that was like me. I was sat there and in my mind, as, as they were telling me all this stuff, I just thought, no scientific proof yeah. of this. Yeah. Why would I believe this? <laughs> Where's your evidence? And right. then it's only when you experience that everything they were saying to me that day was just coming true in my own life. It was just making sense every day and my feeling about who I was I became so much less attached to my thoughts and my identity of who I thought I was and felt so much more at home in the awareness that all of things are arising in that I just started to seem experientially true that that's what it was and so now I, now it seems strange that I ever doubted it, but, you know, it certainly was a process. And it took a long time, too, because when I, was, when I first learned this and I had a great experience, but I just rejected all the spirituality, there was a certain amount of cognitive dissonance for a while where I was telling myself, right, I'm going to be a teacher of this meditation, but I'm because I love it so much and it worked. But I'm going to strip out all of that crazy spiritual stuff they told me and just tell people like it is. And that's why I got really into the science. And it wasn't as I kept going more and more and more into it. And then when I started doing retreats and doing like all whole days of it and everything that I started to realize, no, I was I was wrong about that. It's what they were saying is true. I can just feel it in my own ex my own experience. And so now I have no problem teaching it. Can you strip out the, the spiritual aspect of things? Do you, think you, you could. Do you think you can do that and still just get, the, I suppose, the, the peaceful kind of relaxation element of meditation, right? Well, there, there, is, there, is, there are some um, people who do teach it that way, like actual um, scientists have brought out their books that say, you know, do these things and you will feel calmer. And it does work, but it, it does make people feel calmer, but it doesn't have anywhere near the impact it does the way I teach it with the mantra and the holding it so delicately and all that, well, I don't think. Plus, you've kind of stripped out meaning, haven't you? You've stripped out any kind of attempt at higher meaning in the experience? 
I agree right? with that yes. 100%. Yeah. So the meaning has just become like, oh, I feel calm. It's just the same old self, isn't it, with all its problems. I feel a bit calmer doing this. It's like, well, you could feel a bit calmer walking in the park or, you know, petting, petting your dog. It's, you know, it doesn't really have the profound effect on them. Because a lot of it, I suppose, is, you know, also the effect of the mind as well as the nervous system. It's, you know, rewiring, uh, rewiring the mind, like your, your, uh, epithet that i heard recently the the neurons that fire together wire together um, exactly which i liked yeah. I, I, I said that on another podcast i believe um just to kind of have a slight um deviation do you have a any devotional bent in this is there any kind of any sense of uh reverence or you know this kind of feeling involved so the way I t yeah yeah there is but not in the traditional sense so I don't do a puja or anything like that and the reason for that is that I've just I've just never done anything like that but also quite a few people who've messaged me they say oh I went along to uh, a transcendental meditation course but I couldn't relax because I kept I was so freaked out by this puja because it was never explained to me and you know, I heard that there were some names of gods being said and there was this picture of this man and nobody explained who he was. And so what I do is at the beginning of the course, I take some time to explain um, a bit of an overview of where yoga and meditation comes from in India. And I show some pictures of people like Ramana Maharshi, who was um, one of my teachers, David Frawley, is from his lineage. And, oh, okay, David Frawley's um, involved. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Right, I, I okay. did a, like, quite a long course of him. <laughs> and, right. um, and yeah, so I show some pictures of those people, Ramatirtha, Amanda, Ananda Mema, and I explain who they are and what they were doing. And I explain that there was a... I'm going to teach people a meditation to make you calm and happy, but I do explain that there's a much bigger intention behind this um, and where it comes from. And actually, it was an att attempt to understand yourself on a deep level, which would also help you understand the universe and reality as a whole. So I kind of explain it in those terms, kind of like I would explain it to a friend. Yeah. So it's, there's nothing except sort of devotional, but I do at that point take a moment to sort of openly thank people who came before me and the teachers who helped me. And then I teach it from there. And then I pick up that again on the day four of the course, where I try and show how different meditation, sort of different spiritual traditions, and also science kind of overlap to try and explain to people how science and spirituality aren't at odds, but they're just two sides of the same coin. Because this was one of my big kind of revelations as moving through this journey was I, I never saw that coming. I, I thought I was a science and religion and spirituality was over there. And so that's been a very exciting discovery for me. I guess I'm the other way around. Like I'm, I'm kind of innately, I'd say I'm kind of more religious and science I would have to be get more accustomed to. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's because I was brought up in a school by monks, you see, and I thought, well, they're no, nice I, people, but they don't have a clue what they're talking about. Right, I, did, right, I did read that background. So you were brought up in a, in a Catholic, a Catholic uh, kind of background, right? Right. Yeah. So I can see how you might might have had a bit of rejection going on there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's exactly yeah. that. <laughs> well, so the course is ten. 
I was going to say it's 10 days over Zoom. Is that right? Or Sorry, no, it's just four days exactly mimicking four. the kind of thing I went through originally, okay. which gave me my big shift. Yeah. Right. Okay. How does it work? I mean, just, obviously it works over Zoom. I mean, you know, although, otherwise you wouldn't be doing it, one hopes. Um, is, <laughs> is, is it different? Is it, if there are there any particular chat? I mean, you know, like we all know there's challenges over Zoom, but uh, do you find that it, you know, it's working or any ways that it works better or any ways that it works like not so well that you'd like to see people in the person? Um, I, I love it actually because I have people all over the world. Every single time I do it, I have people from all over the world, all different cultures and people with different experiences. And they that mixture brings a real energy to the group for me, especially if you've got a couple of like, you know, people from Texas or something on there because they'll really be quite, you know, they'll talk and English people can be quite reserved, but they'll get people chatting and... So, yeah, I really enjoy it, actually. I just love it. And I love the fact that I can do it from anywhere in the world. Because if you remember, I said I used to be, I used to work in the travel industry. So I like to travel. So I can just go away on holiday or go somewhere and spend a few months somewhere and I can teach from there. So I, ha I have taught in person, but uh, I really like this way of doing it. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then I also, although the course is four days, what I say is, at the end of the course, that's not the end of everything as it is. Following the course, every other Wednesday, I'll do a live group meditation. You can come on, ask me questions, Q&A, and then we'll all meditate together. And that's just a drop-in, and that's just ongoing forever. So I like to, it's a way of keeping in touch with the people that I've taught, making sure that they're staying on on the path yeah, they're not, and enjoying not repeating it. Something completely, like Chinese whispers, they're complete. When they come back with a mantra, it's completely different. It's like some text, <laughs> a, te a Texan kind of appropriation of, of yeah. uh, <laughs> God knows what they've ended up with. Um, how, how long do the, med the meditations last? Only 20 minutes, twice a day. That's, that's what, that's, that was the original um, teaching that the Maharishi brought back in the 60s. He said 20 minutes twice a day, and then that's what I was taught all those years later. And so that's what I've passed on to people. Um, you can that's do what you more. Do. That's what you that's, do. You, right, you do more. Well, I, I tend to do more because if you go on a retreat, you learn something called rounding, which is a combination of very gentle yoga asanas, takes about 25 minutes, half an hour, then followed by some pranayama and then some of this meditation. So the whole thing takes about an hour to do. And if you go on a retreat, you might do lots of that, you know, four of those in a row, then lunch, and then another four after lunch. Okay. You know, eight, right. eight hours of yoga meditation As much rounding as you want. So you, yeah, but you would really only do that on a retreat because you don't want to get like a stressful phone call after that because your head is a bit blown off. You know, you will have probably had some... Well, you could have some quite big spiritual experiences um, if you go on a retreat and you do that kind of thing. I mean, that's kind of what made me realize that, oh, hang on a minute, science can't explain some of the experiences I'm having now. Because, but when I, my teacher explains it, they say, oh, well, yeah, it says this in the Upanishads or, you know, this is, this is something called Kundalini. All these things are very new to me at the time, but once you've experienced those things, you can't, there's no going back. You've seen right. them, seen mm, it then and mm. it's like, oh, okay. Wow. So these, these experiences can come up, but I've, I usually only experience that kind of thing on uh, retreat. Yeah. Right. I'm kind of intrigued. I mean, I can hear the, some noisy seagulls from 
Brighton background, <laughs> Hove, yeah. quite a, come down and practice with you some of this rounding. I like the sound of it. Oh, yeah, um, I'd love to show you. What about, uh, what about if people, you know, have these experiences, like you mentioned earlier, a lot of stuff is coming up and, you know, um, anxiety and, and uh, heavy feelings or whatever else, or, you know, how uh, they say, well, I can't continue. You know, it's too much for me, you know, uh, or, you know, I mean, that's the, the first reaction you might have. Uh, I've seen too much, you know, this is all coming up. Uh, it's too much for me. I need to stop. How do you answer that? So, yeah, that comes up occasionally. The way I would deal with it is say, right, importantly, I never, I want you to never push through a meditation where it doesn't feel comfortable. So you're completely allowed to stop anytime you want to stop. You're in charge of that. That's extra important if you've got somebody who's suffering severe anxiety, PTSD, some kind of trauma, because otherwise, if you move out of your window of tolerance, you will just re-traumatize yourself and everything gets worse. So for those people, stop the second you want to stop. And this, uh, this applies to any kind of meditation. If you feel that you've gone to a place that you're not happy with, you can take the fingernails on your hands and just start scratching the palms and the back of your arms, uh, back of your hands, gently and you'll ground yourself, bring yourself back into the body and generally that's okay. So that's in the moment. But if a person literally every time they meditate, they go to a pretty dark place, then I will say, look, well, maybe we'll shift to some mindfulness and we'll do some of that first because you're not ready for the deep meditation yet. Or if it's not that severe, we can do deep meditation, but we'll just shorten down your time. So you're only meditating five minutes a day um, twice a day rather than 20 minutes twice a day. So that's kind of the benefit of having a teacher really who you can talk to because they can know quite easily where, where you are. Cause some people I'll say, no, you're, you're all right. 20 minutes, you can carry on. Yeah. You, you, you're, you're crying, but you're not sad. So just right. let the tears come. Okay. Like, who cares? Right. right. So it's, yeah, so it's quite a subtle kind of individual centered yeah. kind of teaching really, right? That's right, yeah. Only only groups of say twenty on the Zoom, so it's not. Okay, is that what you're doing? I was going to ask if you're going to hundreds of people meditating (laughs) all over the world. Right, okay. So you can really kind of tailor it from person to person. I was I was going to say, what happens if someone's just sitting there saying, "This doesn't work. I'm just kind of bored. Like I'm not really getting anything." You know, how long does it take? You know, all these questions. Maybe came up for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what am I meant to be? What am I meant to be feeling? There will be another one, right? Like, well, let's take bored. Because if somebody said to me, "Well, I'm just sitting there and I'm having all these annoying thoughts, and it's it's irritating, and I don't feel like I'm getting any enjoyment out of it," then the answer to that is to say, "Okay, then in this case, your practice is to be at peace. You're teaching yourself to be at peace with your non-peace." So don't just quit the meditation. You'll have to sit there and endure. You don't have to, but if you can sit there and endure um, that and be at peace with it and learn to be okay with it and learn to let those thoughts come, but not be pushed or pulled or swayed by them, then you'll become very, very mentally strong because that will build equanimity and that will transfer into your normal life. So when you're going about your life and something terrible happens, all these horrible thoughts will come and visit and you'll have the opportunity, you'll, you'll the ability to just let them come and go and not be pushed or pulled. So it, it turns into more of a life skill. 
But I have to say, working with a mantra, it rarely comes up. People do tend to drop into a nice place. Can you use the mantra at times of stress or anxiety? Do you, you know, like during the day, can you suddenly kind of use it? Like, I recommend people don't. I say keep right, it just okay. for the meditation and right. only for that. And if you want to use other techniques to help you with anxiety and stress, I can give you other techniques. Okay. But keep the right. mantra just as your special thing for the meditation. Right. Yeah. I quite like that. What about um, my other questions of how do I know it's working and how long does it take to work? <laughs> better, be, better be quick. <laughs> well, I tell you what, I can, I can give I've you some specifics. Minutes. I can give you specifics on that. So they say in the research that three months... If you do it every day, 20 minutes twice a day for three months, then around the three-month period is when you'll, they'll be able to see on an fMRI scan, so on the brain scan, they'll be able to, be able to see that your brain waves are significantly changed. So what I mean by that is you go about your normal life and your brain waves look a certain way, kind of disordered and not really in a pattern. And then you sit down and you meditate in the way that I teach and your brain's uh, two hemispheres of the brain will sync up in terms of the brain waves, and they'll be very orderly and very patterned. And then you stop meditating, you go about your life, and all that falls away again. But after three months of doing it daily, the meditation, you, you do the meditation, and then you stop the meditation, and you go and do your normal thing, and the brain waves will stay with the meditative state to some degree as you go about your normal everyday life. And so what's happening is your normal everyday waking life is becoming meditative. The mind, the brain, the nervous system is becoming meditative even when you're not doing the practice. And so that starts to show up about three months, but it deepens and deepens and deepens over time. And so this is why around the three-month period, the people who were complaining that it's not working suddenly message me and go, oh my God, it's true. Um, you're right, I feel so much calmer, so much happier, or sometimes they don't notice and it's there. They say, you know, I don't know if I'm going to keep this up. And the husband or wife says, no, you are doing it. Go and right. do it now. Right, they, right, right. they notice it. Yeah. Are you trying to relate the experiences you have in meditation to daily life or is there just allow them to permeate as and, as and when they do and, and how they do? So it's, there's nothing to do apart from the two 20-minute meditations right. and then the rest of question. it, just get on yeah. in your life you and forget want. about Whatever. it. Really, yeah. really. Okay. Mm. That's, that's, the, that's one way to look at it, yeah. Although if a lot of people nowadays, they've got so much access to information that they want to do other things. So sometimes you're like, okay, I will teach you rounding or I'll teach you some pranayama, things that complement this and deepen this. One thing that we don't really necessarily want is people to get so hooked on going deep that they're spending three hours a day doing it because you then become a bit of a bliss junkie and you may not be effective in your normal life. You start to not care about, oh, I could take the kids to school, but I don't feel like it. I'm too happy in my own little like blissed out world. So in some respects, keeping it, keeping the amount down can make you find a balance. Yeah. So it seems quite pragmatically focused, really, you know, as much as it's meditation for life, not the other way around. Well, it would be, yeah, actually, because if you look at the meditation apps, a lot of those apps are coming from people who were monks at some point, like Andy Puddicombe or somebody like that. Whereas this meditation was brought by Maharishi, who said, 
this is what I'm giving to the householders. It's not for monks. So my guru would be visited by people from villages and towns who would seek him out and say, I need something to make my life more spiritual. And he'd say, well, it's really important you go back to your life. I don't want you to be a monk. You have to go back and you'd live out your dharma wherever you are. But, and that would be your mission in life, your purpose. But I'll give you this technique that's super powerful that you will integrate into your life. And so it's carried through, that idea is carried right through until the, the current day where we're saying it's a tool for, to make your life better rather than something to give up your life and follow. Yeah, I like it. What was, what's been your biggest challenges with it? Oh, good question. So when there have been times in my life over the last sort of five years or so where some bad things have happened, um, the same as what every most people go through. So for example, my grandmother got dementia and that went on for quite a, for a few years and was, you know, was a very tough thing because I was brought up by my grandparents a lot because my mum had me when she was 19. And so I spent a lot of time around my grandparents while my grandmother was deteriorating and forgetting who everybody was and getting very stressed and um, her health deteriorated. And so during that period when I, I was trying to be strong and deal with all of that while it was happening, but then I was going away and trying to meditate and what I was finding is all of the emotions that I wasn't dealing with in the day would just come up in the meditations later on. Now, of course, uh, this is a great thing. This is good because I'm doing what needs to be done. I'm getting it all out so I can move forward and it's not going to cripple me sometime down the line. But it really made those meditations not pleasant during that period. Quite a lot of them just weren't pleasant. So up to that point, I'd been a complete kind of bliss junkie who enjoyed having a silent mind and sitting in meditation and could sit there for hours and loved it. And then during that period, it was like, oh, great. I'm just going to go and have this horrible meditation experience twice a day. Um, but I knew I needed it. So um, it was strange. It was a strange time that, yeah, because it was it was like, okay, I know this is working. I know this is good for me, but I'm just not enjoying this at this point in my life. Um, but I certainly feel that it got me through, you know, because I feel like maybe I would have not fared so well if I hadn't had it, yeah. Mm. And you can use the, this form of meditation with, with other practices, like you can do a regular yoga practice or I suppose if, or other, even other meditation practices at the same time. So, well, with yoga, I think it fits perfectly because that's how Maharishi taught it originally. It was um, the rounding is taking you from movement into stillness, but via breath. So the pranayama is the bridge between the, the movement and the, uh, the meditation. And so what comes first? Sorry, it's another, another question. Yoga, pranayama, meditation. Is that right? That yeah, that, that's the order that I was taught to do it in. And for that reason, movement into stillness. Yeah. And um, I would, I personally think if you want to do other styles of meditation, then that's fine as well, because I do that because I... I like to explore and experiment and I like to write emails about different things and how they work. So I do that as well. But what I what I do is I just say they must be separate. So you don't want to be 
doing the mantra, but then bring in some mindfulness or, you know, mixing them together right. in that way, okay. creating some yeah. kind of hybrid. <laughs> yeah. As long as you keep the practice pure, then do whatever you like and experiment is the way I see it. Because people are going to do that anyway. So no point trying to be strict about it. Have you got any tips for starting? Like how, I mean, apart from coming to you and doing the course, if someone isn't going to do that, I mean, how do they incorporate a little bit of meditation in someone's life? If they say, I don't know, I always give the example of my parents. Let's give the example of my father this time. He doesn't want to come to you. Uh, and You know, he's never heard of really much. He's heard of meditation, but he hasn't really, you know, uh, he doesn't have the courage to do actually a course or anything. Uh, but he might, you know, maybe in private, you might try it, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Might, like, yeah. What What would be your, um, your kind of uh, starting tips for someone like that? Well, for somebody, anyone who wants to try a bit of meditation, but they don't feel like they're ready for a course or they're just not sure about it. I just say, look, just go and sit comfortably, quietly somewhere, close your eyes, breathe through your nostrils, and then just very, very gently put your awareness there and pay attention to that experience. And I just think for anybody, that's the easiest and most obvious way to get started. Once you bring mantras into it and more complicated practices, then people are going to probably get it wrong because they'll try and have an experience and try and control it in such a way. And... Uh, they're, they're probably just not going to like get it if they're trying to teach themselves. But 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 the more basic practices like focusing on the breath, anybody can do that. There's really no no teacher necessarily needed um, just to just to play around with it. But later on, the kind of contact with a, a particular person or teacher is kind of important in the process. Well, what I find is most of the people who come to me that they've. Yeah, they started like that. They tried to teach themselves. They may have even been on some retreats and tried some other styles of meditation. And so just like me, they they get, they know that this is the right thing for them. They know it's meditation, but they're just not quite getting what they want. And they're not having the experience that they want or then something hasn't clicked. And so they find a teacher, maybe it's me, maybe something I've said resonates with them. Or maybe it's somebody else, and that's when they usually try and uh, try and do it. So I don't get many people who are complete beginners. It's usually people who've been doing it for a while. Yeah. What happens if people kind of they feel like it's good for them? They like it. And this, I think, that's experience of my wife. She says it. So meditation is really good for me, and I know it's, it benefits me, but I find it hard to keep it up. Well, <laughs> this is why. I say, okay, if you learn with the mantra, for most people, they find it so easy and nice and enjoyable that they do tend to keep it up anyway, just because it feels good. But um, there's also this other element as well, where I say, you wanna make it as easy as possible. So sit in a comfortable chair with a back support, um, put the hands in a lap in the only way that feels comfortable, you know? So just make it super easy and also, do it on public transport. There's an, or some, you know, any any way you can fit it in, you can do it. Noise and um, yeah, noise and disturbances don't have to be a problem. And in fact, if you can get used to doing it in those places, it's even better because then when you do sit at home and it is quiet, then your experience is really nice. But when you do it out, when it's busy and there are distractions and noises, firstly that gets gets it done and it's no problem because doing it is the most important thing. 
but also it teaches you, yeah, but it teaches you that, oh, okay, these distractions, these noises, these disturbances, they're all going to generate little thoughts, storylines. But if I can be completely disinterested and I can be equanimous with all of this going on, then that will actually speed up your progress in meditation. So you don't need to be on retreat and you don't even need a quiet room, you know, do it on the bus and you'll become a, an expert meditator in no time in the sense. How, how long have you been doing it now? So I started about 10 years ago with the experimenting it, uh, with experimenting, sorry. Um, and so the whole process has been about 10 years, but I've only been teaching for four years. Mm -hmm. And how has it, would you say it's evolved, the experiences of meditation has evolved with you? I mean, could you put it into words at all? How your, how your practice has evolved? Um, my practice is, is the same, but the evolution is in me, the person, I suppose, mm, right, in the way how right. I feel about myself, how right. I don't react to things in the way that I used to. And Oh, but I'm still definitely, I'm certainly no guru, so I'm still <laughs> capable of having an argument with my girlfriend, you know, or getting angry if I can't find a parking spot. It's not that having normal human emotions um, is, is bad or wrong or anything like that. What I found is that they're just not sticky anymore. So I'm definitely less reactive, but even if I do have those kind of um, unpleasant emotions come up, they tend to pass through very quickly and there's not much storyline attached to it anymore either. Um, I, I would never, I can't imagine you know, sitting down and plotting my revenge for something <laughs> anymore because these things just don't seem to um, leave any scars anymore. It, and that that's certainly what, what Maharishi taught originally as well, that you you become that way because your, your nervous system is no longer sort of um, allowing you to feel anger in the same way you used to. You can't become the anger in the way that you used to because you're so established in being in, in the transcendental consciousness. I think people often get confused about the, the idea with the meditation or, you know, or with all the, the kind of yoga perspective that they ought not to feel anything at all. Is that the aim in your mind, you know, like to not to feel anger and not to feel sadness at all or simply not to be reactive to this in such a kind of, as you say, sticky kind of manner? Mm, in my experience, meditators tend to become a little bit more sensitive in a way. So you, you feel more fully and you allow yourself to feel more fully. And in doing so, you can let it go. So I, I heard, I think a meditation teacher once say, when it comes to difficult emotions, the only way out is through. <laughs> you can't avoid them. You have to feel them fully and let them go. And with meditation, you learn how to do that and you accept that that's a part of it. So you, you stop repressing and you learn how to manage the emotions and you learn how to let them go in your own way. And so you don't lose your humanness at all, but you just become better at managing it all. And you certainly be can become more sensitive though. So that before you may have been a bit more of a tough person and you may have been closed off to other people's emotions. Now you become much more open to other people's emotions and you can hold space for people and be more compassionate and empathetic, even though you never really planned on that being a part of it. Quite often that's something that will just open in somebody that meditates for, for a while. Mm. Can, I, can I ask where you're going with it? 
<laughs> and I mean, it's a facetious question, but, but, I'm more, <laughs> but more, but more like, um, where are you, what, what, what's your next step on, you know, kind of a personal level as a teacher, kind of to, to develop your, your teaching of it or, you know, how, how do you see this evolving for you? This work. It's a good doing? question. That's a good question. Yeah. So, as I say, it started off as a self-improvement, solve my mental health problems thing. And what it's transitioned into is like a grand adventure. So although I teach this and I do this kind of meditation very strictly, my fascination has become looking into and reading about and watching interviews and anything I can get my hand on to do with people's spiritual experiences, spiritual awakenings and enlightenment or people who are enlightened, that kind of thing. So I'm trying to, I guess, trying to make sense of some of my own experiences by looking at other people's experiences. So I'm just carrying on down this road as it is, doing the meditation to make my life better and to, to enjoy the life that I've got. But but I am fascinated at this kind of overlap between different spiritual traditions and different techniques and um, and how practitioners are, how, how the experiences had by practitioners in one place overlap with somebody else. Because I think that's where the, you can find little pockets of truth. You know, if the Sufi meditation and the Buddhist meditation and the... Um, Vedantic meditation all kind of agree on these few things, then we can say, oh, well, that's definitely true. That's that's something that's inherent <laughs> in the human being. And rather than just, just showing still, up in that one tradition, you know what I mean? Still vested in scientific proofs. Are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what it's a- kind of like, it's just it's just my my mind trying to put together this jigsaw. Yeah. 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 Um- I was kind of interested in your background, actually, when you said on another podcast that you'd come from and already started an online business a while before this, uh, you know, manifesting in the meditation guide, uh, stuff that you, that you do really well online. And, um, I think you were with online business teaching people how to, how to make money and share, like, a, you know, trade online. Is that right? Is that right? <laughs> that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So after I finished at the travel company, yeah. the big revelation that I had at some point was, I really love the traveling, but I really don't enjoy sitting behind a desk selling holidays. <laughs> so I decided I was going to start an online business uh, with a friend of mine. And we got quite good at doing SEO and getting websites ranked quite high in Google. And we started selling courses on that. And somebody got in touch with us who was a trader who said, hey, do you want to be business partners with me and you can market my services? And so we got together with this guy and we did all the website, the marketing and all of that stuff. And he was the trader. And it was great because I, I, we had a business, could run from the laptop. I went away and kind of lived that laptop lifestyle that everybody's talking about on Instagram now. But we were doing that kind of before it was a, a thing, really. And um, so, yeah, that that was very, very cool. But what I noticed was... In the transitional period before I achieved that, there was a lot of struggle getting there. And I convinced myself that I would be completely happy if I could just have a business that I ran from my laptop and I could go and live somewhere exotic. And then there did come a day when I achieved that and I was in Mexico and I had this business and it was really great. And I realized there was still something missing. And it was like, come on. And so I think, again, that pushed me towards the meditation because I was like, there's, 
there's something that I need here, like that isn't quite right in my life. And so even though we carried on that business for years afterwards, uh, I was still feeling that there was, yeah, I, I didn't know what to do. Actually, I felt very lost because I'd had, I'd had it. I'd got the thing that I wanted and realized that I was still me with a messy mind and kind of depressed and still wanted to drink every night. So yeah, I had, we had a lot of fun, but it was a big uh, revelation to me. So I came back from Mexico um, after achieving what I thought was going to be, I thought I was never going to come back. I flew out there thinking I'll probably just keep traveling for years now and then came back after a few months thinking, okay, I think there's something else. I need to look at some other avenues. Yeah. Um, so that contributed to the meditation as well. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And is it just you running the your your stuff now, your courses? So it's me doing all the teaching and then... My friend, who was has been with me for the last twelve years, doing all of that online stuff, he now looks after the meditation uh, business in terms of the website and the payment system and all that. And it's funny because I I did this meditation and then I went to him and I said, "Listen, uh, this is going to sound weird, but I think I really want to start teaching people meditation." And he was like, "Really? That's you want to do like?" He just thought it seemed so strange because <laughs> yeah. I was the last person in the world. But I said, yeah, yeah, let me teach you and uh, see what you think. So he's I taught doing, him. He's he, doing it now. Yeah, and, and he's like, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, so um, so he doesn't do any teaching, but he supports right. in that sense. He's a practitioner. Um, what, what, are your, what are your plans for, for I can't, I don't want to call it a business, but what are your plans for the teaching? And, and you, are, you develop, are you developing different things or are you writing a book or what are you doing? Or are you just happy to just, just do as you are? Carry the truth on. is that yeah. this is it for me. Like, I feel like, right, um, okay. you know, you know, when people retire, but then they need a job to do so that they don't go mad. I feel like, oh, I've already got it. Like, <laughs> I've achieved uh, what I wanted to achieve. So, so essentially, my only goals right now are just to become the best possible teacher that I can, to understand everything as, as deeply as I can, just for my own fascination. And really I get a, what I get a buzz from is when I teach other people and they get it and they and it changes their life. I kind of live for those emails that come in and say, you, this has solved my OCD or this has solved my chronic pain of you know five years. That That's really it for me. So no, I don't have any books or any big plans and I don't really... I'm not like massively extroverted, to be honest. So I don't see myself in a big temple, you know, like Sadhguru oh. or anything like that. I, I kind of like the new Osho. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What about that? Yeah, yeah. So, big, so big I kind of like it. Yeah, I kind of like it. Kind of small, small scale. We'll just. I'm just going to take the journey and see what happens. Yeah. So finally, I always ask people what. Um, what What else do you like to do? And uh, so, what do you, what What do you like to do outside meditation? And uh, give me one. Um, we will say guilty pleasure and uh, one inspiration. Perhaps one inspiration isn't immediately um, your guru or meditation. So kind of three, okay. three last questions, almost there. Okay, so the first one was, what do I do yeah. outside of meditation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other stuff you like, basically. Well, okay, as soon as um, 
this is over. I'm going to run out the door. We're going to jump in the car, go to the beach and go paddle boarding because it's okay. nice and sunny out. Oh, sorry. So that, that, yeah. that kind of thing. No, it's all Sun, good. Sun is at a premium in Hove on a bright shorts. <laughs> get out while you can. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of thing. We're, me and my girlfriend are both really into um, oh, nice. nature and being outdoorsy and stuff. So it's that. Uh, the second question was what? The second question, um, guilty pleasure. Uh, okay. I, I can't think of anything that sound, I feel guilty about. No, I certainly still, I, I certainly still love listening to dance music and house music and all of that stuff, which okay, that's doesn't cool. really that's fit the meditation that, no, that's a guy. Right, that's nice. I like that. Yeah. I, I love all that, yeah. And I've sold all my decks now, but I if I'd still have kept some stuff. If anybody did ask me to go and DJ, I could go and do it. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. yeah, I still love yeah. all that. Yeah. No, uh, cool. I just don't really go clubbing anymore. Don't drink anymore, really. And um, what was the last one? Uh, an inspiration. Inspiration, yeah. Inspiration, not that's, that's not to do with meditation. Yeah. Okay. Good question. Um, yeah, it could be a person or a book or even a place. Or... Okay, right. Well, what comes to mind is... Yeah, um, yeah my mind's gone completely blank. <laughs> <laughs> An inspiration. I, I mean, I'm really into movies and that kind of okay. thing. Okay, so... yeah. I don't know if that's if that counts, but I'm kind Could of a, a bit of a, a film geek, if you like. So right. I, li- I like movies which are not related to meditation at all. Like I love Tarantino films and that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, so yeah, definitely, definitely not. <laughs> There's nothing spiritual yeah, no, about no, no. that, really, is there? But <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, it's been really wonderful having you on, and um, yeah, I've uh, a very pleasant chat and some. You know, some clear and basic instruction to beginning and actually very uh, a kind of enticing um description of uh yeah of the the what was i suppose tm which i've actually never never tried so yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna try it now i'm gonna give it a go maybe and come on zoom with you yeah yeah great yeah i'd love yeah. that and then i'd love yeah. to take one of your classes one day let's see yeah, well, I don't think I'm not as bendy as you. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that was my young years. I'm not bendy anymore. <laughs> re- re- retired yogi. All right. Well, thanks for coming on, and um, yeah, all the best with it. Great. Okay. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.